0: Welcome to The Endgame, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Auction. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. We have two special features for you today. I'll share with you an interview I did with Anna Tempana, a life coach who specializes in helping women who are up to something... But first, writer Amy Bernstein shares some hard-earned wisdom about making the tough transition from work life to so-called retirement life.
1: In the run-up to leaving full-time work behind for good, retirement shimmers in the distance like a misty magical land, Shangri-La or Brigadoon. As the hero of your own life, You imagine one day traveling to this land to be rejuvenated and liberated you will find yourself at last i have two words for all the quixotical questers wake up your magical land is an empty dirt field but for the tumbleweeds blowing through you must build it this lovely place yourself let's talk about how you begin to do that every time someone asks if i'm retired i bristle no one transitioning from a traditional full-time job deserves to be prematurely shoved 6 feet under or onto a front porch rocker simply because they stop collecting a traditional paycheck yet ironically people often define their own retirement in terms of subtraction rather than addition so many negative phrases are associated with retirement no paycheck no schedule no boss or this one I'm out of bed and dressed, what more do you want? Since when are retirees indistinguishable from cranky 14 year olds? This isn't right. Retirement in its optimal form should be synonymous with rebirth, not regressive behavior. Much easier said than done. At the outset, retiring is less about what you plan to do and more about managing a shift in your thinking about time, space, identity and other weighty matters i suggest three core paradigms are involved in that shift one reorganizing your identity i know of a judge who was shocked to discover when he retired that people no longer addressed him as your honor and stopped showing him the difference he the deference he'd grown used to he was unhappy and unprepared for this perceived change in status for decades You may have needed more than three words to sum up a huge chunk of your identity. I'm a teacher. I'm an attorney. Retirement unravels that sentence, sending you back to the identity drawing board for perhaps the first time since adolescence. You don't need to fill the gap immediately. And it isn't really a gap. It's a shift. You haven't lost anything of value. You are not what you do and never have been. It felt that way because the shorthand was easy. You're still you. Acknowledge that you are and always have been a human being first and that you still claim many other identities, spouse, parent, volunteer, artist, athlete. Retiring is an opportunity to reconceive your identity in richer, more complex ways. Let the professional title go and embrace every other aspect of your personality. Give yourself permission to cut this cord. It's okay to feel untethered for a time that still doesn't make you less than you were. Actually, this is about recognizing who you really are in the first place. Two, redefining your relationship to time. In our culture, time and productivity are nearly inseparable. Work life segments time and measures productivity for you. But in retirement, you control the clock. The loosened bonds of time may give you psychological vertigo bordering on panic, like bungee jumping off a cliff. On top of that, productivity will be uncoupled from time. In your work life, for instance, you devoted 11 hours a day to teaching, prepping for class and grading papers. Productivity equal time and vice versa. Throw those old formulas out the window. You've earned the right to make a new time map for your days and to redefine the meaning of productivity. A single hour or an entire morning may no longer constitute meaningful measure-laden segments of your day, and that's fine. To reallocate time and rediscover a new value paradigm for the passing hours, you first need to shake loose from your prior relationship to time's passage. Don't expect to figure this out all at once day one of your retirement should not be styled around reallocating 18 waking hours into identifiable chunks. Learn to sit with time by allowing it to flow on without a plan in place. This could mean sitting still, reading, gardening, exercising, welding, all without a timekeeping device in view and without predetermining when to engage in the activity. Perhaps 10 a.m., perhaps 2 a.m., your time's boss now, not the other way around. Again, there is no wrong way to do this, except to try to recreate a workday-like structure with the same attributes as before, i.e. where time equals productivity. There's nothing wrong with structure, especially if you crave it. But you should assign new values to structured time, including perhaps no value whatsoever. Each minute, each hour is as valid as every other regardless of what you are or are not doing. Your self-worth in retirement is not to be measured by any 24-hour yardstick. Three, rediscovering your true needs. My father was a C-suite executive who retired ahead of schedule to care for my terminally ill mother. After her death, he found a new love and they traveled around the world having fun. My father successfully jettisoned the markers of corporate success in favor of living for love and new experiences. For so long, he needed a board of directors and a big salary to feel validated until he didn't. It's easy to assume you need standardized external validation to define success in terms that you and everyone around you easily understands. Getting a raise, a promotion or landing a high status job are easy markers of success. Strip away that framework And it's up to you to figure out what you need to get up in the morning, engage with the world, feel fulfilled, and achieve a measure of peace and contentment. You're pivoting from allowing external factors to define what makes you feel okay, to seeking internal drivers that help you achieve at least a comparable sense of balance. This shift demands honesty above all else. You can tell yourself, it's imperative to join several boards and take on three new volunteer jobs. Maybe that works for you, but maybe those claims on your time make you miserable. Start by doing nothing or as little as possible. Give your inner voice time to assert itself and listen to it closely. If long, lazy days make you feel good, embrace that. Don't fight it, just be honest. Consider shadowing some friends who have already retired Spend a few days with each of them and watch how they fill their time. Ask yourself how their ways of organizing the hours make you feel. That exercise may provide insightful clues about what you really need, not what you think you need. Retiring takes skill, patience, and brutal honesty. Get ready to meet yourself all over again, and perhaps delete the word retiree from your vocabulary. You're an explorer now, so buckle up for the ride.
0: Amy Bernstein's novel Elle will be published in June. You can also find her work on Medium. And now I am pleased to welcome Anna Tempana, a life coach who specializes in helping women who are up to something. She is also the author of The Womanly Art of Alligator Wrestling, Anna, thanks for joining us on the end game.
2: Thank you. Good to be with you, Don.
0: So, Anna, when I was in high school, I don't recall a seeing a career option called life coach or personal coach, and I'm guessing you didn't either. No. Nope. So how did you arrive at this as your chosen profession? What was your journey?
2: I thought I was going to be an artist. I went through a a very creative period of performance art and then being an entertainer at Disney World and for conventions, and it was a difficult road to be on. I didn't know how to manage sexual harassment and all of the the difficulties of corporate life and I began to listen to motivational speakers and study what I could, began to journal seriously. And that all led me to, uh, attend large life-changing weekends in self-development, which led to, uh, training. And I was hired as a tr- adult development director in a girl scout council. I had an awesome boss. She kept sending me to the National Training Center for more trainings. I'd come back on fire, achieve all my goals, and she'd send me again. So the training led to more training, and that led to professional speaking. I had been participating in Toastmasters ever since I worked at Disney World to handle my nerves. And the Toastmasters, the training, all of that, just gathered momentum, I suppose. Then I wrote my book. I joined the National Speakers Association. I traveled around the country speaking to audiences with my book. The book sold out, the first printing. Then we had the second printing and multiple family crises. I mean, big messy crises, tragedies and crises. So I had to do something different. I had to leave that speaking career as much as I loved it. And I found that coaching and self-development and really listening and connecting to people, that was truly a calling for me. So I've been doing that. since.
0: Well, I congratulate you on having found that calling. Some of us uh, have a hard time finding it, I think. And I, I suspect that's a lot of what you talk to your clients about. Is it?
2: I talk to my clients about finding purpose. Okay. Not necessarily a calling, but finding purpose. My life has had a lot of adversity, and that has given me purpose. I actually have three stepsons who are all in prison. Yikes. And I told each of them that you can have purpose no matter where you are it's been exciting to watch them evolve and transform and find purpose even in prison
0: that's great um i am curious th- that you seem to have focused your practice aside from your stepsons, uh almost exclusively on women what was the thinking there
2: I have had male customers and I've had men in my audiences for a while when I was doing the the um, improvisational comedy work during the Disney time. I enjoyed having men as part of that. But this rocky road of life and all the things that I've dealt with made me aware of what women deal with all the time. This is where the alligator wrestling comes in. I had a particular event, a time in my life where I was the main money earner. My husband was back in school. He had cancer from Agent Orange. He actually had two bouts of cancer. We had his stepsons dropped in our home without warning. And and they were pretty promiscuous at that young age because they hadn't had, they hadn't had an upbringing with uh, rules and boundaries and values and tough love. So it was a scary time to have all this stuff going on. Then I got pregnant with our second child,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, came home with a new baby. My husband's cancer returned right then. So, uh, I was managing so many challenges and difficulties in that situation. I realized that, you know, other women have to manage things like this. It's tough, but it's the mother and it's the woman that really keeps the ship steady. In, In Florida, We have alligators and I was living in Tallahassee. That was the scariest thing was to be canoeing in on a little river, have my husband tip the canoe over and there's alligators right there in the water. I began thinking that's the scariest thing I know, alligators. I also loved the story of Janet Reno. And her mother, who learned to wrestle alligators in South Florida. Her mother was a journalist, and Janet Reno was embarrassed of her mother. So she would live with her grandmother instead. Her grandmother was more refined. But it was that little mother who was really amazing. She had a piece of land. The father was a policeman. They had three children. They were in a tiny uh, house. And she went and watched um, the construction crew dig the foundation for a house. And she called one of the men over and she said, now, what's the first thing you did? And the the construction worker said, well, we're digging the foundation right now. It's got to be just right and very exact. He talked about a foundation and, and she left and came back a week or so later and said okay now what <laughs> this construction crew began telling her how to build a house and did you know she did it she built her own house <laughs> and then when they had that big tour uh, the hurricane or was it a tornado hurricane andrew that flattened florida She was an old lady sitting in her rocking chair in the house that she built, just rocking away till the storm passed. So Janet Reno was, in an interview, she was telling the story about her mother and how much she admired her mother, the alligator wrestler. So I love that story of the bravery and the courage and the willingness to just go out and be different and do something that you needed to do. And the other group that had had impressed me was the La Leche League. The La Leche League is devoted to women who want to breastfeed their babies. And they have a book called The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding. The La Leche League was a crucial support system for me when I had my first pregnancy and my second one, actually. So I began putting together hmm, the womanly art of (laughs) alligator wrestling.
0: That's great. That's great. So now I have a little bit more sense of what, what that's about.
2: Right. When anybody's sick, when there's any upset, when there's any crisis, any tragedy, You know, the woman is right there in the middle of it, managing all of it. And we have a way of supporting each other through our humor and being there. It's really an incredible way that women support each other through the tough stuff.
0: What first attracted me to your practice was your slug line that um, it's for women who are up to something. And... I just thought that was intriguing. Um, I gather that many of your clients are people who are accomplished professionals in one way or another, uh, lawyers and judges and so forth. Um, So is that what they're up to or is, are they up to something else? Or what, I guess what I'm wondering is if these people are so accomplished, why are they seeking you out? What is it that you are offering that, that they feel like they need?
2: I've worked with three women attorneys. I know nothing of law. (laughs) But women who have a purpose, sometimes and a family, sometimes and a husband, or sometimes no husband, but women who are managing a lot of big things in life, often appreciate the opportunity to have a listener without judgment Mm. to ask them questions which helps them see things from a different perspective so i provide a safe space i have a lot of coaching skills and tools and i'm there to ask questions so they can see what they didn't see before and make different choices that will get the results that they want in their life. And not all of my clients are attorneys or even women. They're not definitely not all corporate. One woman that I love to work with is a woman who is a how do I, she is an awesome leader. She's much younger than I am. And she has decided that she wants to break the poverty cycle in Winston-Salem, where I live. Mm. Now, we have one of the biggest, the worst poverty uh, uh, situations here. We have more children that go hun- hungry, we're the second to the bottom in terms of people dealing with hunger. And she has created an organization for young girls. They are often referred by their teachers in school because they were fighting or maybe they self mutilate or they get into trouble. She invites those girls into her organization and provides leadership, communication skills, She has a staff that she's certified. She has an awesome board that guides her. And and these girls truly transform themselves. They become young women with a vision of education and a future that they didn't have before. Even the parents are educated. They learn about healthy eating and, and, and good communication skills. So working with her is a total joy. And boy, is she up to something.
0: (laughs) Um, Here's a question. Um, A lot of the people who listen to this podcast are closer to our own age, which is to say retirement age or close to retirement age. Is it uh, too late for them to benefit from coaching?
2: Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. I think as we get older, there's a need, especially for boundaries, there's a need for purpose, there is definitely a big need for self-care. I don't mind telling people I am a dementia warrior. My parents both died of diseases related to dementia So I have dramatically changed my lifestyle so that everything I do and how I live is to reverse or prevent dementia. Hopefully we're preventing at this point, (laughs) but I have been involved in a brain study and I come out really well, really, really well. But it depends on how you eat and how you exercise. It depends on the sleep that you get and whether or not you're socializing the things that you do to keep your brain active. So it really takes a lifestyle commitment.
0: I'm I'm certain of it. My, my mother had dementia and she did all of the things that you are told not to do. Um, Mm. She lived on her own. She did not socialize. She, Never went out, never joined any clubs, ate a lot of sugar, mm. all, all the wrong things. And it came back to her.
2: Right. For Alzheimer's, sugar is poison.
0: I know. I hate to give up sweet tea, but there you are.
2: Oh, it's something to, you know, it, it's difficult to think of what you have to give up. But I found that when you really look into healthy eating and whole foods, it is plant-based, but there's not any giving up. It's what you get. Oh, my gosh. I have so much fun eating, and I lost close to 30 pounds. But I love these new recipes and and the the new way of eating I have. So it's, it's been really fun.
0: Okay, good. Something else that I was curious about, you have referred to your coaching practice as narrative coaching, which I would understand if it was for writers, but I don't really understand what it means in terms of looking at someone's life or purpose. What What is narrative coaching to you?
2: Narrative coaching follows the belief that everyone has a story. We're living our life story. And sometimes we're not happy with how the story's going. (laughs) We don't like how the story is going. And there's upsetting things. So, narrative coaching is about looking at how a person sees himself or herself. What is their mindset? What is their way of being? What actions are they taking? How are they creating a supportive environment? So they can actually pivot the path that they're on and take a path that creates the story they want with the results that they want.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, Something I know that you and I share is is one belief in common, and that is uh, a firm belief in the existence of the inner critic. Uh, Mine has... Establish permanent residence. Uh, I don't know about yours.
2: Everybody has one that, that rules the roost.
0: So um, what do you do for clients who have a, a problem with the inner critic? And, and how does that play out?
2: I don't know anyone who doesn't have a problem with the inner critic. Nobody is free from that. We all have the inner critic. As a matter of fact, there are actually nine different brain patterns that give us stress and and they're constantly harping at us. So the top three I call the inner mafia. Ah. The inner mafia, there is a, a man who has done a lot of study on this and he is he has a website called positive intelligence. He offers a free assessment that you can take on his website. Uh, Just on the, you scroll down the main page, you take the assessment and you can find out what your top three are, the inner mafia. And when you get the results of the assessment, you'll say, oh, I could have told you that. (laughs) It's familiar ways of thinking. For example, one of mine is... You've got to be productive. You've got to do more. You're not being productive today. You haven't gotten anything done today. You've got to be more productive. Now, what do you need to do differently to be more productive? You know, it's just that nag, 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 nag. So now what I do is I say, oh, you're here. I really need you to back off and chill out and let me do what I need to do right now. Or what feels right to me to do? I mean, you can just talk back to it. You can give aspects of your inner critic a name. Sometimes Um, it's my mom.
0: I was going (laughs) to say, because that's most of the time, my inner critic sounds a whole lot like my mother. So I didn't know if that was everybody or just me.
2: Well, that's typical. That's just typical. And you hear her criticism in your head, my mother would always show up when I was going to eat at a social event. <laughs> or if, well, she shows up all the time. But I, I, I will tell her, Mom, I need you to sit in the corner. Go sit in the corner. I, I'm really busy right now.
0: She would tell you how, uh, not, to, not to mess up with the eating or she would tell you not to eat?
2: Oh, she would say, you can't have that. You'll get fat. You can't have that. You'll get fat. You can't have that. You'll get fat. But it doesn't matter. It's, I mean, I've, I've lost 30 pounds since I've focused on my uh, healthy eating and I feel really great. She couldn't say a word to me, but she'll show up for other things. And I just put her in the corner, put her in the <laughs> corner
0: well, I have I've actually tried to do just what you said and, and tell the inner critic I, I I appreciate you. I appreciate that you're trying to help me. Uh I'll take it under advisement. Now shut up. Right.
2: <laughs> I had one client that gave hers names and she had an aspect of her inner click inner critic that was like Eeyore from mm. We need the food, and she called it Doomy, and Doomy would say, (laughs) "Why try? You're not going to make it. This is a failure, and you haven't even started yet." (laughs) So she would just talk to Doomy, say, "Doomy, (laughs) go find some soup to eat or something. (laughs) You know, You can make it funny." And that takes some of the, the charge off of
0: it. Is is part of your goal with your clients to get them past the inner critic and freeing themselves from it so they can be achieve more of what they're about?
2: I What I say is manage it. It's always going to be there, but you can manage it. And using some of these techniques by always being aware, call it out give it a name, be funny with it, tell it to sit in the corner. Those are all techniques of managing the inner critic. Okay. So then you're free to take a risk or do something Do do what you really want to do, just frees you up.
0: It's interesting because one of the, um, though I attempt to tell my inner critic to, to sit down, Uh, It still manages to get to me. And what most often hits me is don't embarrass yourself. Uh, You know, you're going to be, you're going to look ridiculous. So don't embarrass yourself. And I have people tell me that there's so much more I could be if I could just get over that. Um, I noticed that you talk about helping women find their super self. Is that is that a similar concept to, to, to achieve purpose or to, to get over the critics? or to...
2: What a lot of, of women, I find, and this is probably true for men too, but they worry about what other people will think. What will she think? Just yesterday, I was talking to a, a very uh, prolific uh, professional woman who said, I'm sorry, it's so late for me to call you back. I was worried you would think blah, blah, blah. Or if I do such and such, what will people think? And the truth is most people are just thinking about themselves. They're not (laughs) thinking about you and they're not tracking your mistakes or what you wore or didn't wear or what they're not. They're thinking about themselves So that's just another part of the inner critic. But the super self is definitely a self that's free or that manages the inner critic. And and really, um, you know, we have strengths. We have these wonderful strengths. And the super self is very cognizant of the strengths And then there's also that inner spirit wisdom. So one of the things I encourage all of my clients to do is to practice meditation, to spend time in quiet every day, still your mind, focus on your your breath. And sometimes when we're together, we do a meditation together, just mindfulness, being very present to what you are experiencing in your body right now at this minute. Where is the tension? What's going on in your shoulders? What's going on in your stomach? What's going on? And I'll even ask them now, what is your stomach saying to you right now? And they come up with an answer. What are your shoulders saying to you right now? And they come up with an answer
0: so back to super self so what what does that mean for a client
2: well it, i want to give a another example of what women deal with when we're we are little girls we are taught to compete with each other as to how we look. Mm. All of our compliments from grown ups are about how we look. Isn't she pretty? Oh, isn't she sweet? She's so sweet. And how pretty that dress is. So that's how we are brought up. Right now, it's the princess craze. Every little girl has to be a princess. She has to have multiple princess dolls and there's princess and mermaids. And, uh, but the princess thing, especially where you're entitled, you know, it's, it's just something our culture has done. Then as we get older, we begin to compete with each other for attention from boys and it gets worse. we, we As we get older, we compete even harder. When I was growing up, there was one social sorority in high school. And if you were not in it, then you were not considered popular. And girls compete to be popular. So there's all this kind of unhealthy um, socialization going on as we grow up. Then then we go to college and whatever we have to deal with what's happening there uh, i experienced my first sexual assault in college and then uh, rape in college then we're in the world and it's not a safe place so women are constantly looking at what they have to um you know what's safe what's not safe Can I speak up or no, I better not speak up or if I'm too good, then I don't want to be better than the boys. I mean, it's all of this kind of thinking and it's, it's, it's just not a healthy empowering way to grow up as a human being. So as women, we want to identify that stuff and be free of it and support each other, see the magnificence, see the leadership in each other. It's especially important not to try to be perfect. And women often do that. They want to be the perfect mother, the perfect wife, the perfect boss, the perfect. And perfect just doesn't work. So to be free of all of that, you can be authentic and vulnerable. And that's connected to your super self, being authentic, having purpose, being compassionate with other people, really listening to what's going on in yourself as well as with others.
0: That's great. That was very well put if you could leave people listening to this podcast with one last thought about the work you do uh, or the challenges of it, what would that be?
2: The last thought is you are enough. And if you are not happy with your life story, you can change it at any age, at any time. You can change it. The important thing is to know that there is magnificence in you. And that's where what you want to find and experience.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you, Anna Tampana, for being with us today on the program. And good luck to you and your practice. And we so much appreciate these words of wisdom.
2: Thank you, Don. It was a real pleasure being with you. I, I will encourage more people to listen to your podcast. I really think it's great. Thank you.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. You can learn more about Anna Tampana and her coaching practice on her website, Anna with one N, Tampana with two Ns dot com thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The End Game, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The Endgame.